Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features. Get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book, Why Nations Fail, The Origins of Power, Prosperity and Poverty. What is the greatest challenge facing mankind today? Every person has a different answer to this question. Jared Diamond, the Pulitzer Prize-winning author of the best-selling sociology classic, Guns, Germs, and Steel, which we have unlocked for you in a previous bookie, believes that the problem of income disparity among various countries around the world can be considered the greatest challenge facing humanity today. The per capita income of Egypt is only 12% that of the United States. This is a shocking figure, and it is arguably one of the key factors for Egypt's political instability. However, this example is not even the largest disparity known to exist between countries. The gap between the per capita income of the United States and that of the poorest countries in the world is much larger. In those countries, even a full meal might be considered a luxury. What exactly causes this disparity? Why are some nations prosperous with a flourishing population while others are impoverished with their people in deep suffering? Can poor countries ever change their destiny? or are they doomed to fail? Since the dawn of time, countless experts have tried to answer this question. The book Why Nations Fail provides us with a short answer, institutions. While this answer appears to be deceptively simple, it is full of complexities. It took the authors of this book 15 years of dedicated research to arrive at this answer. Both authors are leading economists, Darren Asemoglu is a professor at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and recipient of the prestigious John Bates Clark Award, and James Robinson is a professor at Harvard University and world-renowned expert in Latin American and African studies. Over the course of 15 years, these two experts poured over thousands of years of human history and compared the developmental processes of over 20 countries. They came to the conclusion that differences in institutions are responsible for the different fates of various countries around the world. In this book, Asemoglu and Robinson analyze volumes of historical case studies to show us why different countries developed different institutions in the first place, how the earliest institutions came about, and how good and bad institutions can influence a nation's destiny. Now, we will take a deep dive into the book's contents with you through three parts. Part 1, The Real Reason Why Nations Fail. Part 2, Institutional Effects on a Nation's Development. Part 3, why Different Nations Have Different Institutions Part 1, The Real Reason Why Nations Fail Before Professors Asemoglu and Robinson arrived at their own findings, three popular hypotheses prevailed with regard to this question. The first is known as the Geography Hypothesis. This hypothesis suggests that the wealth disparity between countries is caused by geographical differences. In the early 18th century, French political philosopher Montesquieu discovered that regions with a high concentration of poorer countries, such as Africa, Central America, and South Asia, tended to be tropical or semi-tropical, whereas wealthy nations were largely located in temperate regions. Therefore, he concluded that tropical climates made people lazier and robbed them of the motivation and initiative to work, think, and innovate, in addition to making them more susceptible to dictatorships and despotic rule. However, South America, which has a similarly hot climate, is the birthplace of the Great Incan and Aztec civilizations. In fact, 
they hold a significant place in the history of ancient human settlements, standing out among myriad others in achieving a degree of progress and development that far surpassed any Northern American civilizations at the time. Alternatively, if we look at the present-day context, the country of Singapore, which is also located in the tropics, is a key economic hub in Asia that has been dubbed one of the four Asian tigers as well as the Garden City, a place where citizens enjoy peace and happiness in their daily life and work. Evidently, having a tropical climate is not the key determining factor for poverty. Others have claimed that diseases like malaria tend to spread in tropical climates, causing a profound impact on people's health and indirectly affecting productivity in such areas. However, the reason behind the rampant spread of tropical diseases in African countries is because they are poor in the first place and lack the resources to effectively address public health issues. Therefore, this is a consequence of poverty rather than a causal factor. Yet others argue that different geological environments across the regions of the world produce different kinds of flora and fauna which in turn lead to different levels of agricultural productivity and ultimately to a discrepancy in the economic development among countries. Indeed, the agricultural productivity in the capitalist nation of Spain has been higher than that in South America. However, after Spain colonized South America, it transferred all of its agricultural products to that region. Why then, after centuries have passed, South America's level of economic development has failed to catch up with that of Spain? In fact, the economic discrepancy between the two regions has grown even bigger than it was before colonization. There are numerous other similar counterexamples. Over the course of human history, which spans thousands of years, there have only been minimal changes to the geographical conditions of various regions, yet many countries have experienced great fluctuations in the state of their wealth, despite remaining in the same geographical locations the whole time. The geography hypothesis is unable to account for such fluctuations. Let us then turn to the second hypothesis, the culture hypothesis. This hypothesis attributes the income inequality among countries to cultural differences, claiming that cultural factors such as religion, beliefs, values, and traditions have an impact on people's productivity. German sociologist Max Weber believed that the Protestant work ethic, the idea born out of the Protestant Reformation in 16th century Europe that it is every person's duty to strive for success through hard work, played a pivotal role in the rise of the modern industrial societies of Western Europe. On the other hand, in some parts of Africa, many people believed in witchcraft and were resistant towards technology. Under such circumstances, it was naturally difficult to make any significant economic progress. This hypothesis even goes so far as to suggest that Europeans possess a superior culture, which explains why Western Europe and North America, where European descendants make up the majority of the population, have the highest concentration of developed countries in modern-day society. In reality, however, a large income discrepancy may still exist between two countries with identical cultures. Take North Korea and South Korea, for example. These two countries share the same cultural roots and are no different from each other in terms of ethnicity, language, or history. Despite these similarities, South Korea is currently one of the world's wealthiest nations, whereas the economic situation in North Korea is far less developed. Let's also look at Argentina and Uruguay. Both countries have populations that are mostly of European descent at comparable proportions to that of the United States. Nonetheless, 
the income levels of these countries lag far behind the United States. China, on the other hand, has a civilization that has progressed through ages in a continuous manner. Historically, the country had been one of the most powerful nations in the world and had once fallen from great heights to become a target of imperialist oppression. Modern-day China was built on a blank slate, and yet it has sustained over 30 years of rapid economic development to date. Therefore, we can see that culture does not have any decisive influence on a country's level of wealth. The third hypothesis we will look at is the ignorance hypothesis, which suggests that the leaders of some countries simply do not know how to rescue their countries from poverty. Many economists favor this theory, as professionals in the field of economics, they know all too well the challenges involved in deploying resources to meet development goals. Therefore, they are not surprised that leaders of poor countries not only fail to grasp such profound and complex knowledge, but also possibly lack understanding of the disastrous consequences of their policies. However, even if such leaders are not economists themselves, they are supported by teams of experts. The national team of advisors of the Republic of Ghana in Western Africa comprises numerous such professionals, including Arthur Lewis, a Nobel Prize winner, and one of the most renowned experts in the field of economics. This stellar lineup can be said to surpass that of most developed countries, and these experts could definitely provide insightful opinions for the rulers of Ghana. However, Ghana's rulers sacrificed much of the country's interests in exchange for political capital, resulting in the implementation of various absurd policies, such as building a mango canning plant in an area where no mangoes could grow, with an output exceeding the total global demand for canned mangoes. This utter lack of consideration for the basics pertaining to raw materials, cost, and sales extends far beyond simple ignorance. Now that we have refuted one hypothesis after another, what is the real reason that causes nations to fail? Asemoglu and Robinson believe that institutions determine a country's economic fate. They offer a classic example, that of Nogales. Nogales is a unique city. Half of it is located within the borders of the United States, while the other half lies in Mexico, separated by a fence that runs down the middle. These two halves are nearly identical in all respects, including geographical conditions, population makeup, and cultural practices. However, life on either side of Nogales is vastly different. In the northern half, the average household income is about $30,000 a year. People have the right to vote and enjoy a range of social privileges such as healthcare, education, and public safety. On the other hand, in the southern half that lies in Mexico, the average household income is only a third of that in American Nogales. A large number of the children do not attend school, public hygiene conditions are deplorable, social infrastructure is poor, and crime rates are high overall. The quality of life here is significantly poorer than on the other side of the fence. Why is there such a tremendous disparity? With all other factors being the same, the only difference between the two sides is their institutions. Therefore, the answer is obvious, institutions are the key factor contributing to the huge inequality in living standards between the two sides of the fence in Nogales. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.